Welcome to another episode of Bench Talk. I'm your host, Tom Gerrard. Uh, this week, I'm catching up with Sydney-based artist, Lorabelle Spirovsky. Um, yeah, it's been great chatting to Lorabelle. I got a lot out of this conversation. Um, you know, she's got a really different origin story of her art practice, which is uh, it's quite unique for a lot of the people I've interviewed on this uh, podcast. You know, Lorabelle's a renowned painter mixing portraiture and abstraction and um, she's also a very accomplished portrait painter in her own right. She's won multiple art prizes and she's been a three-time Archibald finalist. During this conversation we discuss the many aspects of her career and uh, also um, talk about uh, an art-related injury that she's had that's held her back from um, getting her work done. You can find her on Instagram at uh, Lorabelle Spirovsky. Um, yeah, here we go. Bench Talk, episode 169. So I was born in Manila in the Philippines, um, and my mother is Filipino. My dad is Serbian, and I came here when I was nine. And I've I've basically been making making things ever since I was a little kid. I was always very creative and bit of a loner, um, so I always just made stuff for me, made stuff for my mum. And when I went into high school in Western Sydney. Uh, my art teachers were really encouraging. So I did visual arts all the way through to year 12. And I thought the best people that I know are art teachers. I want to be an art teacher. So I went to uni, College of Fine Arts, and studied to be an art teacher. But at the end of it, I realized I didn't want to be a teacher, but that I really wanted to make art. So I kind of had this identity crisis at 22 and thought, have I just wasted four years of my life and $22,000 on a degree that I won't use? Um, Because at the time I was tutoring English and I liked the one-to-one, but I didn't like the idea of being in a room of 30 kids who really don't care much what you have to say or certainly what you, um, any sort of high ideals that you have. Um, so I got really depressed and my boyfriend at the time said, why don't you paint just to sort of feel a bit better? And the funny thing about the uni that I went to was they were very focused on conceptual development, uh, but they weren't focused on technique a lot. And I, it feels like art schools tend to sort of fall into one category or the other. There's maybe one or two that really have a more of a balance between them. But I truly didn't learn how to paint in uni. I, I learned how to have a, a folio of ideas that are the kind of background, the context to what my painting is about, but I didn't know what scumbling was. I didn't know any techniques. So the first painting that I created out of uni um, was really quite self-taught. And uh, that was an incredible experience. And it essentially just awakened something in me. And I thought, yeah, okay, this is something. And then um, family members were like, oh, can you do a little little portrait for me? Family friends were asking commissions. And then before I knew it, I was earning money from making paintings. And then it kind of just unfolded slowly from there. Oh, 
So we, so you went to the College of Fine Arts, but you didn't learn how to make art. Like, were you doing an academic course there? So I started out in my first year with fine arts and I learned how to draw. So I had one teacher who actually emphasized sort of technique and like, he essentially taught me how to hold a pencil, which, you know, at first you just sort of learn in that, that way that you, you're writing on a, on a piece of paper words, but um, he taught me that it was an extension of my arm and that completely changed my life. But he was the only one who really taught me technique. And then by the end of the first year, I thought, well, why am I doing fine arts? And then I'll have to do like a diploma of education at the end when I can just cut to the chase and switch to an art education degree. Mm. So that's what I did. After my first year, I switched to art ed. And then I spent the next three years um, learning to be a teacher. And so that they give you quite a very general and broad and really shallow education in each discipline. So you do a little bit of printmaking, a little bit of sculpture, a little bit of video, a little bit of installation, everything. A little bit of painting, a little bit of drawing. But I mean, it all sort of is summed up to me by this one moment where I had a, a painting lecturer who didn't use paint as a medium. So he was a digital artist and he was working with DNA. Um, and the other teachers uh, who were sort of working under him really had no um, interest in teaching us technique because they really wanted us to focus on challenging the definition of painting. Like, for example, one of the paintings <laughs> that I did, um, I was really, really poor. So I bought some apples, 40 apples. I peeled them and then I laid them all under my bed and they sort of dried into these leathery kind of skins. And at the end of it, I stitched them all up and made a kind of like animal hide in the shape of an animal hide. And then I put it between two pieces of perspex that I drilled together. And that was a painting of like Eve. <laughs> and I got really good marks for that. So I thought, well, okay, if I'm getting good marks and they're encouraging me, so that's probably the right thing to do. But yeah, I came out of it really not knowing how to paint and having to discover in this very fresh and very organic way how to actually engage with that medium. It sounds like you um, you really took to it from a conceptual standpoint. Because me, me personally, with my art, like I've been painting yeah. for years and yeah. I, I must admit it's only been the last, like, say, five years that I've really started thinking conceptually about my mm. artwork. And that's more, I think, think it's something as you build a career, you're forced to do more. But you you came from the other way, other side, the yes. conceptual side first. And yeah, there was exactly. no post-rationalization for you in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's really embedded in how I think of pictures. Like, and it's even it's even more so because I came from a background of being an English tutor for eight years. And so I think about the world through ideas and words and concepts. And so when I think of painting, it's very much from a symbolist perspective. Um, so I can't seem to help but, you know, think about how the placement of things, um, the colours that you use, the entire composition, how it can be read from all these different angles. But um, what was it like for you going the other way around? Like, starting to think like what made you start thinking about the concept uh i just 
knew that just putting together bodies of work, you can't just grab a bunch of random paintings from the studio about mm. nothing and put them in an exhibition. And then, um, you know, you get cornered at that exhibition with people wanting to know what it's about. And if you yeah. say it's not, I just wanted to paint, it's not, a, it's not enough. Yeah. So <laughs> I realized I needed to start making paintings that work in a cohesive manner. And especially doing yeah. a solo show, the first thing I think about is what's this show going to be about? And then I make paintings about that, that theme or subject, you know. Was that hard for you? Because I, yeah, in, for me, it's hard the other way around. I can't justify just making a painting now. Mm. I have to, I have to get to where you started from, and yeah. that's a real mental shift for me. Yeah, I don't, for me, it's exciting because like now every time I make a painting, it's about something. Um, mm. But it's, or I'll, I'll think in bodies of work, yeah. things like that, you know. But. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's for me. It's so it's still so new. So I really enjoy the conceptual side of things. Whereas That's fantastic. I don't know, it's not That's fantastic. So, it's not something I'm looking to undo at the moment. <laughs> 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 yeah. That's good, but honestly, enjoy the ride because I, I think it's the kind of thing that uh, grows upon itself. So probably the more you do it as well, the richer your own personal narrative becomes then you start to sort of self-reference and I mean your work seems quite self-referential anyway to me oh totally um, yeah I paint my yeah. life it's, it's the yeah. easiest subject it's the one I know exactly. the best you know and exactly. no one can deny it <laughs> <laughs> it's true yeah. Yeah. so so um so straight off the bat did you like uh, um build a art career for yourself like where you didn't have to go get a job or and or did um, you go out and get part-time work or yeah, I, I think I'm just so incredibly fortunate because I came out of uni and I, I'm very lucky that I really like my family and I really like my parents. And so I was living with them um, and sort of I didn't have to pay rent. They were very gracious in that way. I'd have to get the groceries, but that the tutoring was sort of taking care of that. So I, I tutored English part-time until about 2015 which is when I went full-time painter. Um, and that was really interesting for me because I, I mean, I wasn't selling much, um, but I was entering all of these art prizes and art prizes are really what got me going because it gave me um, a terrific portfolio that was a really wide ranging in terms of technique and subject matter. Um, and yeah, I, it was really through word of mouth and then Instagram ultimately. Um, so I, I joined in 2016, I think. And pretty quickly, um, I started to sell through Instagram. Like people would um, just contact me. I would post something and it would be like a, a marketplace where as soon as I post within 24, 48 hours, someone would offer something. And I was like, whoa, okay, this is clearly an avenue that I need to lean into um and I mean I I still can't wrap my head around the money aspect of things because <laughs> every time I put on a show I'm like I made all of this stuff in what I consider to be my bedroom like right now you can see like behind me is my studio which is in my house and it's so personal it's like I live and eat and breathe and sleep and go to the toilet here, and I, I make all of this stuff in the privacy of my own home. And then after a, a little while, I make a bunch of things, and then I put it in a white room, and then people pay for it. 
And that's just, it never quite gels uh, in my head, but I've completely lost track of your question. <laughs> no, it's all good. I was just uh, asking about like how things like kicked off for you straight away. But, yeah, uh, it was, it was pretty immediate. Like I, I just got very lucky that I didn't have to think about rent. So I could save a bit of money for myself and kind of, I had the luxury of um, have essentially having time to make art and to sort of find my feet. And from that point, I could gradually get up my self-confidence. And it really, it took about three years of um, just pottering around and just learning how to paint a little bit before I actually um, sold a, a proper work on canvas. Cause before it was just like little works on paper, um, little paintings, that kind of thing. Commissions, commissions really got me through those early years. Um, but when it got going, um, around 2016, it was like full steam ahead. Um, it just, this momentum really built up and it was almost overwhelming at one really? point. Even yeah. when you say momentum, did you was what the art prizes were starting to come through for you and commissions and um and Instagram shows. sales and shows? Yeah, sales, shows. Um, it was really just sort of like a gallery started to represent when was my first gallery? Um, I think like 20, yeah, I think 2016, late 2016 was when I was uh got my first gallery. And yeah, from that point on, it was like, okay this is an actual job now. Like I, <laughs> I can't just be treating it like this fantastically creative thing that I do in my room. Cause at the time I was painting from my bedroom. I didn't have a proper studio until two years ago. Um, but yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, you've, uh, you've made some big works in your, uh, yeah. <laughs> in your house. <laughs> I sure did. And a lot I, of them a... too. <laughs> it was, it was pretty funny. Cause we lived in this like, you know, 70s weatherboard house in Western Sydney. And I painted either in the dining in the dining room or the living room, which was right when you entered. So often we would have my dad's friends come over and they would just see <laughs> what I'm working on. And it's so exposed. And a lot of the time in the early days, they were self-portraits and a couple of them were nude self-portraits. And it was just hilarious and awkward um, for my dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so speaking about uh like the learning the techniques and stuff like that like I, I was watching a video of you online and you were doing like quite advanced like sign writing techniques with the the line yeah. work that you put through your paintings like yeah. <laughs> how, how did you learn all that stuff were you did you were you interested in sign writing at all or that you just wanted to make those lines so you worked out how to do it I pretty much that it was, uh, it was all out of necessity. Um, I didn't research anything. It was really just, okay, I need, I need this particular effect. How am I going to get that in the most effective way? Um, and I think that's why I, that's what fueled me because it was constant problem solving. Um, and it was so just the constant dopamine hits of like, you've solved that problem. Um, it's quite addictive. Mm. Yeah, because with your work, you you work with a mixture of styles as well. So you have like your uh, your abstraction, but it works with realism as well. Mm. Was that a, is that a byproduct of experimenting a lot and completely perfect, perfectly put? It really was. Um, it's, I mean, the more that I look at my work, 
over time, the more I realized how much it's influenced by the fact that I used to analyze poetry for years, because the way that I structure the paintings aren't really the way paintings tend to be structured in any traditional sense. Um, it's it's storytelling through pictures. And uh, a lot of the time it was experiments that didn't quite work. And it was uh, a lot of trial and error, but the style evolved quite organically out of just where am, what am I trying to do here? Where am I actually going? And I think that perpetual question has always remained at the top of my concern. Like, where am I going? What am I doing this for? Um, and it's it's really been, as we were saying earlier about yours, it's really so self-referential. Self uh, and it's it's all about digging even deeper and then even deeper into my life, into my psyche, um, my memories. Um, struggles there's a seemingly endless well from which to to draw from yeah you you say like uh you know you're looking into where you're going um do you mean creatively because I find personally that I I'm looking to move forward creatively but a lot of the stuff I paint is looking into the past perfectly put I think because I think the only way to move forward is to reconcile with the past you know, there's, you can only, there's so, so much growth happens from taking a step back and looking backwards and reflecting. Um, and every time you reflect, the, the incredible thing about that is you can reflect on the same memory, the same period of your life again and again and again, and each time you get a different picture. And it's mm. sort of like truly an endless um, mirroring of the age that you're currently at. And it's sort of mingled with a projection of where you want to be in, in the future and what you want to get out of that memory. Because every time we look back, we're looking for something specific and it's always different every time. Mm. If that makes any sense. <laughs> no, it does. It does. Yeah. Because I, I find that um, I paint a time zone. I mean, a time um, period, like in the mm. 80s and 90s. Mm. Yeah, I just find it's really bizarre like I don't realize that I'm doing it I just think oh, I'll paint yeah. you know you think of an object oh, I'll paint this and then you realize that there's a certain um era of those objects as well like I don't know that's it's I find probably it's tied to whatever age you were at the time and I think yeah. I think probably people have different ages that affected them in really profound ways for me it's definitely the time that I was in the Philippines mm. um that is such a an intense period of my life and I keep returning to the ages of you know five to nine mm. is so uh like for example I'm writing a book at the moment um and it's about that period of my life um and it's to me that book is like the most comprehensive self-portrait I've ever done because it's really what painting lacks in sort of three-dimensionality I'm able to do with with words and the temporal aspect of it mm. Is that, um the Sabong series you did was that from the, based from the Philippines? Yes, of it the was. Cockfights? Yes, mm. it was. Yeah, I I I love that series. Same, yeah. Um, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, so at the time I was, this was for my show in was it twenty twenty two with Nanda Hobbs in Sydney. Um, I I knew that I wanted to talk about my childhood in the Philippines because I'd, I'd never made work directly about it, like that I actually was going into the show with that in mind. Um, it always sort of cropped up, but only I would really know how it would refer to my childhood. 
But this was the first time where I actually thought I'm going to make work about that time in my life. And um, at the time I, I thought, okay, I'm going to read the um, national, the book written by the national hero of the Philippines. So he was um, a lawyer and a, an intellectual called Jose Rizal. And he wrote this book, um, which in English is called Touch Me Not. And one of the passages that affected me so much and kind of brought up all of these memories were the cockfighting scenes. And he writes it in such a, it's almost like balletic. It's almost like a dance. It's beautiful, but it's incredibly disturbing and violent and cruel to the animals. And also the relationship between um, the keeper of the rooster and the rooster. It's like a strange sort of paternal relationship that they develop because it's usually men who raise the roosters. And then they have to kill off their favorite son every time. And I was so affected by it. And uh, because the Philippines is such a Catholic country. So I grew up very Catholic. And that imagery really played into um, kind of the, the narrative of Christianity and the idea of, you know, killing your son uh, through Jesus, I mean. Um, and the the show in Nanda Hobbs ended up looking like a church. It looked like a cathedral. So I don't know if you, you saw the photos, but there were church pews and sort of I made these huge um, arch-shaped paintings, one of which was a self-portrait with my pet monkey. I had a pet monkey. Um, and, yeah, I, I really was trying to to find, if, if I could pick one symbol that I felt represented the Philippines, it would be the rooster. Um, so that's that's where that came from. And, and sort of the energy and movement of it was partly a response to Francis Bacon, who's one of my all-time greats. Uh, he's just an incredible, incredible source of inspiration, I think, as a painter, because he does the things that we wish we could do and that we want to do. You know, he's so expressive and so, um, so, it's going to sound wrong, but like self-centered in the way that he paints. He really just wants to do it for himself. And it's so autobiographical. And he, he treats paint in a, <laughs> he treats it almost to the point of disrespect, but he, he does it so expertly that you, you're like, you just have to hand it to him. Like, yeah, keep, keep doing it, you know? <laughs> Yeah, he's a he's an interesting artist. Um, I like how it, the the paintings he he made were like a lot of them. You'd say, oh, you, no one's going to want to buy that, but yeah. yet at the same time, that, uh, for a while there, they were the most expensive paintings in the world. Exactly. You know, or exactly. breaking auction records, anyway. Um, yeah, but it's it's funny because you know when you're painting something, quite often you think, oh, no one's going to want this on their wall. If if you're yep. painting, you know, you can paint something quite dark or whatever you know well, personal, <laughs> he, yeah really personal exactly but he seems to have proven that that narrative wrong as so many artists do I mean it's it seems to me that the more personal you get the more people resonate with it and it goes with literature as well where um when when writers try to write universally somehow it waters it down but the more they become 
personal and the more that they are vulnerable, the more people are able to, it's almost like seeing another person's vulnerability allows you to open up. Um, it gives you permission. And that's what people really want to possess when they want to, when they want to own a painting, at least in my experience, um, every question that I get asked from a, a potential collector is, is seeking out that vulnerability in me. You know, what possessed you to paint this? I want to, and they want to own some of that energy because really it is just an exchange of energy. Mm. Yeah, speaking of uh, personal artwork, uh, your husband Simon appears in a, a lot of your paintings. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, how, how's he about that? You know, do you, do you nail it every time or has he uh, had a few that oh, he hasn't wow. been happy with? <laughs> he, I mean, he's always... I think it's the exhibitionist in him. He he would love it if I just painted him exclusively. I think he loves every time that it's I really get to to play with his form and and he's so open about being painted in every possible way. Um so he's a classical pianist and for a while um I was sort of not allowed to paint him in the nude because we were thinking, you know, his he's got a very conservative audience and we want to respect kind of the way that they see him. But then I did this uh, portrait of him in 2020 when we were moving house and uh, it was a full frontal nude. And I asked him, like, he really, really liked it. <laughs> and so we asked his manager if it was, if she was okay that I entered it into a prize and she really liked it too. So she said, okay, you enter it. Maybe just don't post about it. I was like, fine, whatever. And so we entered it and it wins the competition. So then his sort of naked form is, is plastered all over social media, <laughs> but there's a prize attached to it. So maybe that like is okay for his followers and fans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's, a, he's being celebrated. Exactly, exactly. In, it's in not another form. Some random nude. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> so speaking of art prizes, you're um, a three-time Archibald finalist. But first of all, congratulations. And Thank um you. And is that, did you feel that that had any impact on your career? Because it's, you know, the whole Australian art world sort of watching the Archibald. Did uh, Was there a flow-on effect for, for you? It's, the Archibald is such a weird experience because, um, yes, the short answer is yes. Um, it definitely, it's like the ultimate calling card for your average person. If if you're going to tell someone, oh, I'm a, I'm a practicing artist or I'm, the, the first question they'll ask is, um, what kind of other work do you do? Like, as in, you know, it's very unlikely that you're doing this full time. Um, how do you supplement your income? Um, and so if you say, I'm a practicing artist, uh, I've been in the Archibald, it's kind of all you need to say. And they will just be like, oh, okay, you're, you can do that. Great. Like, I, I understand what that means. And now we can move forward in our conversation. Um, and for me, I think it affected me in positive and negative ways. Career-wise, it definitely helps. It's the best thing you can put on your CV. Um, if you can get into it, do it by whatever means necessary, and that will help you in the long run. Um, but I think it also created, it intensified the pressure that I put on myself in terms of what it means to be a successful painter. And 
art prizes are great and they keep you motivated, but they really are such a small facet of what it means to be an artist. Um, obviously, it's important to acknowledge it because it exi you exist in this institution. It is an institution whether we like it or not, no matter how personal it is. Um, but for me, it really, it made me be harder on myself and that made the creative flow a lot harder to get into because there was more at stake instead of just the pure childlike joyful satisfaction of making a well-executed painting or even not even a well-executed painting just a painting that is is pure flow um that was harder to get into the more prizes that I got into mm. and does it uh do you enter every year not anymore um I <laughs> the injury kind of took care of that so I mentioned my injury earlier um mm. I had to slow down considerably. Um, and as a result, I haven't entered a prize in almost two years. And I'm really kind of just saving it up. This year, hopefully, I'll be able to put a painting together. Um, but it, yeah, yeah, I used to. Mm. So tell, tell me about your injury again, for those that don't know. Yeah, so I, I feel like I've been talking about this nonstop for two years, but I have a condition called uh, thoracic outlet syndrome. And thoracic outlet is a, a position um, on your body underneath your collarbone. So there's sort of a, a triangular space where your neck and your collarbone and your first rib meet. And there's an outlet there, so a hole, through which all the nerves and arteries from your head go down into your arm. And for various reasons, I have nerve impingements and sort of chron chronic um, inflammation. And what that basically does is it creates weakness, muscular weakness and um, pain. So like shooting pains down the arm. And that was from a combination of overworking, um, poor posture and uh, a gym injury that should have been minor, but everything was sort of like already in place. And, and I didn't rest. I, I never rested. I was just painting constantly, working constantly. Um, so, yeah. Jeez. You're giving me something to think about because I've had a bit of a sore shoulder lately. And um, You've got to be careful. Yeah. Really. yeah. I, heard, I did the same. I heard it at the gym. And yeah. um, and I've been surfing a lot, so I'm paddling a lot. And, oh, and also man. just, you know, just constantly in the studio painting. It's, it's, yes. it's my painting arm too. And I'm like, shit, like, yeah. I have nothing. i got to look after this. But hearing you your story, I didn't. I, you know, I, was, I just went straight back to it, and it's uh, yeah, it got me thinking. It's like all take right. it as a word of caution to everyone yeah. listening. Take care of your body and and listen to it when the pain comes. That's a signal for you to reevaluate. Yeah, and I've had um like in, like sore back from the posture side of things, like slouching mm -hmm. and standing and painting all day. Exactly, and um. And the, every time I go get a massage, they say you need to, you know, yep. I stand sort of with more, most of my weight on one foot and then they say I need to change posture and uh, do exactly. something different. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. Exactly. So it's it's the kind of thing that because you get into that flow, like I stop breathing sometimes and I'll kind of realize that I haven't been, or like I've been breathing really shallowly and then I'll end up with a headache and I'm like, how, why do I have a headache after I work all the time, it's because I'm, I'm just concentrating so hard and you lose yourself. You lose touch with your physical body and you're just yeah. sort of up here. 
Wow. Art injuries. That's a first on the, uh, on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but it's real, you know, especially, uh, you know, if you've been doing it year after year and, uh, you know, if it's a full, your full-time job as well, exactly. 40, at least 40 hours a week of painting and, exactly. you know, well, that's for me anyway. But, um, mm. yeah, it's uh, it does catch up with you. It really does, especially if you're uh, like I I learned sort of my work ethic from my dad, who was a taxi driver, and he was like an absolute workhorse. And I had a lot of respect for the fact that he was just about providing for the family. So I'm like, I t- I'm the eldest child. I totally want to take on that mantle. Um, so I just became a, a workhorse as well, because I thought that's what you have to do. You have to work hard. And um now I'm slowly trying to learn how to work joyfully instead. Mm. Yeah, I'm with you on that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so getting back to your portraiture, uh, <laughs> you seem to have done tons of portraiture, and then with the you know the other paintings you do as well, they feature elements of portraiture in them mm-hmm. as well. So, do you consider yourself? a a portrait painter who does other styles of art or are you just a painter and portraits happen to be part of that as well? I think I would like to be the former. Um, I think I'm still just so fascinated by people and the human face. Uh, But I think over time I've kind of become more of the latter. So I am more of just a, a painter who happens to people just crop up. Every now and then, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And with uh, with with what you said earlier about um, entering lots of art prizes uh, earlier in your career and also throughout your career, um, like how did you go about that? And do you found did you find that they had a big uh, impact on your career as a whole? So how it started was very interesting. Um, in around 20, 2014, um, my boyfriend at the time was really encouraging me to paint and to build a portfolio. And he really wanted to help sort of manage me. Um, and we sort of would take these day trips to different galleries, like proper well-established galleries. I am a nothing artist. Like I've just been doing stuff in my bedroom, learning how to paint. But he was so kind of invested and excited in my work that he was really, really pushing me to like go to these galleries. And so we went to one really big one in particular, and the owner of the gallery happened to be there. And so we go up there and are like, if you don't mind, do you want to just have a look at my work? So we had like a little iPad and literally just like being a salesperson just gave a dinky little slideshow of my existing paintings. And he was very tough on them, obviously. But then he saw one portrait and he's like, you should enter that into the Doug Moran. And I thought it it never had occurred to me that I could enter art prizes. Like I, I knew sort of that they were there And first of all, I I only knew about the Archibald. I wasn't at all knowledgeable about how many art prizes there are. And I feel like Australia has more art prizes than America or the UK. It it feels that way. Um, And so I followed his advice and I put the work in and it got through, it got shortlisted. Well, it got through the semifinal round. 
And that was really the beginning where I thought, oh, wow, okay, this is actually something that I can do. I, I get the immediate sort of satisfaction of having um, having my work critiqued, essentially, however shallowly it is, you know, from a photograph online. Um, but it's an encouragement. It's like a game, you know, point scoring um, when you enter prizes. But that's how I got started with it. And then I kind of just entered another and another and I got into the Porsche Geach next and I, you know, this and that. And um, it's it's been such a useful tool for, as I mentioned earlier, de earlier developing a portfolio, developing a wide range and really kind of, you know how some people work really well with a deadline? It has a, an element of that where you have a, a brief. So it for someone like me who's so conceptually based, um, it takes care of some of the, it provides me with some kind of um, restrictions. So I don't just make a painting that's about everything. Um, and yeah, it helps to direct focus, I think. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I like having a deadline and a brief sometimes. Mm. Not all the time. Not all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I've just come off the back of a um, big solo show. Uh, mm. It was a few months ago, but you know, it's been a couple of months of just no. Ah, oh, thank you. A couple of months of just nothing. Uh, no deadlines, yeah. and and I tell you what, I've been um, <laughs> been working on some paintings just for me, and yeah. they have taken forever because I've got no deadline. Yeah. And I don't really know what I'm doing, and I'm just like, yeah. oh, just floundering a bit. Mm -hmm. And um, just last week uh, on Friday, uh, I spoke with a gallery, and they've they've asked for seven paintings from me. I've only, I've only got two of them complete. Mm. So, um, but they they want them in like a, a bit over a month and I'm like, yeah. shit, I've got to get to work. And it's actually <laughs> yeah. really exciting to, to go from that whole, like, yes, no, no deadline, no, no concept to having a, a, a concept and a deadline to work with again. It's actually really nice, but now I'm in the middle of that. I'm thinking, yeah. oh, it's nice to have some balance as well. Because, exactly yeah. and you need a bit of both i think because yeah. yeah. when it's when it's all just one way uh i don't know the brain gets complacent or something yeah i know i know <laughs> it's sort of like um you know you think if you you know won the lottery or whatever you never have mm -hmm. to work again uh -huh. um i don't think that's a really good position to be in for an artist because you Absolutely. need to be working towards something at least a dream yes. you know if it's exactly. not financially based or Exactly yeah. right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, you mentioned that you you got in with uh, with galleries and exhibiting's been a big part of your your career as well. Um, mm. How did you uh, initially get in with galleries? Well, the simple answer is Instagram. Um, as much as I have a love hate relationship with it, I have found every well the the first few galleries that um, reached out to me were through Instagram. And I'm talking my gallery in London and in America are both through Instagram. And there was a, a period from say 2017 to 2019 that was so fertile for artists on Instagram. There were so many galleries who were suddenly realizing the potential of hunting artists through that medium, not through that, um, through that platform. And uh, they were hungry for new blood galleries at the time. 
Now it's so saturated. There are so many um, uh, art makers from the entire spectrum of like hobbyists to professionals who've been, who are in their mid to late career. Um, and it's an absolute like, it's chaos, right? There's there's so much there now that it's hard to choose and it's hard to be discerning. Um, but yeah, it started with Instagram for me, which was an incredible, also that, I mean, kind of like with uh, art prizes, it operated in a similar way where you'd be like, okay, I should do a post every week, right? So I should aim to have something that I can post online every week. And that was another little mini goal that I would sort of keep the momentum going. And um, it was small achievable milestones. And that was very rewarding in the early days, especially when you understood how algorithms worked. And now it's kind of like changed and you're like, all right, I guess I can't rely on the old bag of tricks anymore. Um, but then during the pandemic, things really changed. Uh, I don't know if it was for you, but certainly for me, that was the beginning of a very different mode of working and a different relationship with the art world, I suppose. Um, and I then got my next gallery through just my one gallery closing because of the pandemic and then being sort of led to another gallery who they knew about and then that gallery closing because of the pandemic and sort of leapfrogging to the next gallery. Um, so that one was the only gallery that I have that wasn't through Instagram. Wow. What, what, which gallery is that? That was Nanda Hobbs. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Very, very lucky to have them. And it's it's in Sydney, so it's it's in my home ground and it it feels so I feel so connected. Mm. Connected to that place. Ah, good stuff. Yeah. Hi artists, it's Claire here from the Art Career Academy and we wanted to take a quick break from the episode to let you know that Tom and I will be running a free and live masterclass and info session on Wednesday the 7th of February at 9am Australian Eastern Daylight Time. It's called The Abundant Artist and we'll be teaching the three key steps to create a thriving career as an artist. This masterclass will be jam-packed with value from Tom Gerrard and myself, Claire Bradshaw, where we've combined our 14 years of experience and knowledge from working in our creative careers and running our own businesses to support you to thrive as well. And if you love the content and want to take the next step, we'll also be letting you know about our course, Going Pro, which begins at the end of February. Plus, there will be time at the end of the masterclass for Q&A so you can ask all your questions and get direct support from us. So if you're a visual artist with a dream of spending more time in your studio, making good money and doing what you love every day, then come and join us for this free masterclass. Just head to artcareeracademy.com for more info, clicking the free masterclass to register. See you soon. All right, Laura Bell, um, are you ready for some rapid fire questions? Absolutely, yeah. All right. Name one artist who you think deserves more shine. I have two actually. Yeah. Uh, Amber Wellman. Amber mm -hmm. Wellman, who's a Canadian painter. She is my favorite painter right now. She's just absolutely epic. Her works are sort of Bacon esque, um, El Greco esque, just phenomenal technique, incredible conceptual design. And also Armin Greta, who is a Swiss Australian um, illustrator. Um, so he, 
is my favorite illustrator of all time. Uh, but yeah, those two. <laughs> oh, awesome. I'll, I'll have to look them back at both up. <laughs> uh, what's one medium you'd love to work with? I This is going to come completely out of nowhere, but I've always wanted to work with marble. Oh, nice. Um, I've always, always just had this obsession, fascination with marble, which is why I paint a lot of marble sculptures, actually, because the translucency, it's just unlike anything else. So, yeah, marble. Mm. Have you any ideas on what you do with marble? Um, probably portraiture. <laughs> so probably the human face again. Um, very likely my husband's face again because it's very generous to me. Um, but I think there's just... Maybe when I'm 50 or something, I'll be able to have time slash money and space to uh, explore that medium. <laughs> yeah. I look forward to seeing it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> no worries. Um, uh, what's one skill you wish you had? Anything that involves numbers. Mm -hmm. I am just absolutely terrible with numbers. So... Every skill that I learned in high school is just gone, completely gone now. Unless it's like measuring paintings and the area of a painting, that's all I've retained. Yeah. So, yeah, numbers. <laughs> you haven't sent some uh, wonky canvas canvases off to the framers before? <laughs> um, Once, right at the beginning, and never again. <laughs> yeah. I think we've all been there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, who are some of your favourite artists? That's an extremely long list, um, but I'll pick some randoms. So I love uh, the Australian painter Nigel Milsom. I think he's incredibly underrated. I adore I, I, his Archibald winning painting of uh, Charles Water Street is one of my favorite paintings of all time. When you see that in person, it's just like oh, awe inspiring. Um, uh, El Greco, who I've mentioned before. Um, when was he? Is he Renaissance? I actually don't know when he was. 1400s, I think. Um, Jay DeFeo, who's a 20th century female artist from America. Chaim Soutan, who's a French uh, Jewish painter. Uh, William Dobell, Aussie artist William Dobell. Kathy Kollwitz, who's German. Uh, Lovis Corinth. Lovis Corinth, actually, I don't know where he's from. Um, Pirandello, Max Beckmann, I can keep going. Um, Titian, Emily Kameng and Gawari, um, she's phenomenal. Lois Dodd, Arby Kittaj, there you go. <laughs> mm. That's great. It's a it's a big list there. It's yeah, I, I actually had to cut it down from like 50. So yeah. <laughs> But it's great to have a, a like a wide list of artists who you, you love because oh yeah. It, you know, if you're getting lots of influence, uh it's you become a unique soup of Lots of I different agree. influences. Yeah. I agree. And these are just the painters. So mm. I, I didn't even mention the the sculptors and the video artists and the performance artists. So, mm. yeah. yeah. And I and I find that inspiration can come from really uh interesting places as well. Like you can be, you know, like I'm I used to be a chef years ago and I'm into food oh. and I uh, I love cooking and all that. And I oh nice. I, I sometimes like maybe even like how a, a restaurant will work will inspire something within my art 
or amazing. you know what I mean? It's just um, amazing. Yeah, and just and even sports or you know, this yes. it's really really good to have like outside influences as well. Absolutely. Like a, I think those make the best works, to be honest, because when it's just referencing other paintings, then it becomes quite like circular. Mm. Um, but when, I mean, that's what you go to an artist for, right? I want to see how you interpret other things in the world that I can't see the way you do. So I think that will always make for the the best and certainly the most honest art. Mm. And it's usually uh, combining, um, you know, as I say, there's no new ideas, but if you combine things that have never been combined before, uh, you're usually going to come up with something pretty new looking. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's always original, even if it's familiar. Yeah, totally. So um, what advice would you give your younger self? Just be kinder to yourself, I think. Mm. I think I was very, very hard on myself and I, I, I learned how to be kind to other people, but I didn't actually know what it looked like to be kind to yourself. And it's harder than you think. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I think... It's, it's just built into our human nature, isn't it, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Which is sad because I think if if people were kinder to themselves, they would expect less from other people. Exactly. Yeah. Um, do you keep regular work hours? Uh, I used to, um, but because of the injury, you know, life throws things at you and you just have to adapt and you have to adjust. Um, so now they're not so much regular working hours, as uh, learning to intuitively work and pace myself throughout the day. Um, but that's been very rewarding. Mm. Have you thought about uh, doing different works where, you know, you know, you say you're a conceptual thinker and there's mm -hmm. a lot of conceptual art that doesn't necessarily need uh, painting to be done? I, I think I've sort of been doing that in the sense that I am writing a book at the moment. Um, so I think... Uh, there was one point where I just couldn't paint anymore. Like I just physically, it's like I ran out of things to say in painting. And I was so terrified until I realized that my medium had actually switched to words. And so I just had to respect that decision. And I am working purely with concepts and, and words now. Um, but who knows, after the book, I may, I may do something out of left field. We'll see. Yeah. Um, do you have a dream project you'd love to work on? I do, um, and it's a picture book. I've always wanted to write and illustrate my own picture book. Um, that's been my dream since I was about four years old. Wow. I look forward to seeing it. <laughs> well, <laughs> sounds like you're not too far away. That is, uh, I know. I'm, I'm actually know. I'm working on it slowly from the shadows now, so... Yeah, yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah. And um, and where are you wanting to take your art career? I I actually don't know the answer to that. Um I think genuinely I'm taking a proper break from from art making, at least in the way that I've been doing it over the past decade. I think I'm I'm just leaving it open. And I'm letting the universe kind of guide me to where I need to go and just trusting that time will take care of it and that I'll just, I think I, I'm, I'm learning to make art for myself again at the moment. So probably that's the goal mm. in terms of where I want my art to go. I, I want to make art for myself again. Mm. 
It's interesting with your injury, you've been forced into a situation. Um, you know, it's hard to join the dots looking forward, but when you look back on things, you say, oh, if that if that hadn't have happened, this wouldn't have happened. I wouldn't have led me here and yes. all this sort of stuff. But yeah, because yes. you're in, in the thick of it right now, it's interesting to see where it, it pivots you, you know. It is, and it's it's terrifying, but uh, I'm I'm really lucky to have people who care about me, and I have a, I have a wonderful husband who's really supportive, and understands that I I can't be the kind of provider that I was before, modeled after my dad, and who's happy to sort of carry more um, now that I can't. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah, that's great. You've got a good support network there. I do, yeah. Mm. Very lucky. Yeah. Um, so apart from writing your book, do you have any uh future plans or projects in the pipeline? I do. Um, so one of the other things besides picture book, one of the other things that I've always wanted to do, and you actually know this, is paint murals. So I am going to paint a mural later this year in America. Um, and that's the next big thing. And I'm, I'm so, so excited for that. Oh, yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing that. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> um, and, and finally, where's the best place for people to see your work online? Uh, my website, laurabellspirovsky.com and probably Instagram, also laurabellspirovsky. Mm. All right, Laurabell, it's been, uh, it's great to sit down and chat and find out a lot more about you. Um, Thank you. you know, I've seen your art around for years and, um, you know, seen a lot of it in, in the flesh, which is great. And, um, yeah, it's just great to hear about your journey. Thank you so much, Tom. It's a pleasure. Ah, no worries. And um, and all the best with your injury and uh, I hope you, you're back, back in the studio working again soon. Thank you. Thank you. And all the best with your uh, solo show coming up. Oh, no, that's been... Oh no, there's the other one. Sorry, there's the other one. The next up. one. It's not a solo show. It's a uh it's a it's a it's a semi-solo. Yeah. Oh, the best yeah. kind. I've got yeah. a semi-solo later this year too. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, solo light. Solo light, exactly. Yeah. Just what yeah. I need. Exactly. Cool. Thanks. All righty. Thanks for uh yeah, thanks for being on the podcast. No worries. Speak soon. Bye. Okay. Bye.